0: living from those who call themselves the people of God. It's interesting, about a thousand years after the first Passover, the prophet Isaiah writes and makes reference to a completely different sort of sacrifice. A completely different sort of sacrament or rite, or ritual, if you want to use those words. And he begins to talk in the Old Testament about the Lamb of God. And he begins to talk about a rescue that is not about a physical rescue. He begins to talk about a rescue that is a spiritual one. Isaiah 53, and I'm just going to take a few verses from there. It's an incredibly well-known passage. We, We tend to read it every Easter. But to me, it's sort of this progression from the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, which so often was empty, meant nothing. And then all of a sudden, you have the prophet Isaiah starting to talk about something that is to come that's going to be different. Yet it was our weaknesses he... This would be Jesus he's referring to. It was that our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was actually pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us. Like sheep have strayed away, we have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. It goes on to say a whole bunch of other things that point so directly to Jesus. But then he says this, And because of his experience, that which Jesus experienced, My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. And that is why we celebrate this morning that in Jesus we are counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. The Christian faith, I think, is sometimes maligned for its emphasis on just the use of the word blood. And if I had thought about this, I maybe would have done it before, but it would be interesting to know how many times in the songs that we actually sang this morning as a church family, how many times was blood. Referenced. whether it's in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, when you, when you think of the number of people that would have gathered, the number of innocent sheep or goats, those that were without spot or blemish, you, those sheep and goats that you might have saved for the interior, what's it called, I.E., interior exhibition, Armstrong, I.P.E., Those very animals that you would have saved for that were sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the people. And so there was a lot, you might say, of shedding of blood within the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And we in the New Testament also talk about the blood of Jesus poured out on our behalf. But I think we need to think about that symbolism more in terms of the fact that a life was given up. An innocent life was given up. In the Old Testament, that would have been of an innocent animal. In the New Testament, it's the innocent, perfect life of Jesus. His life sacrificed, given up on our behalf. But I also find myself occasionally asking, why? Why was that necessary? Why is it necessary for a life to be given in order to cover the sins of the world? Could God not choose to overlook it? Could God not choose to simply look the other way? But as I think about that, I I find my heart saying, I do not think I would want to worship and bow down before that kind of God. The fact that God is a God of justice for me is a good and actually a comforting thing. That people, including those who might, we might say in life have truly gotten away with murder, will at some point, Give account of their life before God, and that God's justice will prevail. That sin and evil have consequences. They do both here on earth, but they also will in terms of eternity. I know every one of us probably has aspects of our own story uh, that we regret. Uh, that if we were asked to come and parade up front here on the stage and before the church, confess those three most horrible things that you know you have done in your life. That would be a... I will certainly not do that. I'm not, I'm not going there. But it would be a humbling expression of how broken we are. It would humble us. It would probably bring us... To tears. And it is those very sins that Jesus paid for with his life. When I read the Bible, I get a sense that the justice of God is actually a thing to be feared. But the biblical story is really a story about. The redemptive heart of God, his desire to call a people to himself, were willing to acknowledge him as God, and are willing to walk as a holy nation. And the redemptive story is a story of mercy. It's a story of love, and it's a story of grace. That Jesus really is the ultimate expression of both God's justice And God's love. His perfect life given on our behalf satisfied the requirements of a just and holy God. Today we dress, we walk dressed solely in the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, I just love that imagery. That That is how we are dressed. We are wrapped up literally in the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf truth is that the sins we most regret and the sins that we may at times choose to rationalize as, eh, wasn't that bad, are both an abomination to God. That God simply hates sin. It's God's requirement that a life be given in order to cover it. It's God's requirement that a life be given in order to atone for it, in order to deal with it, and it's a high price. But as I thought of that this week and last week, I thought, you know, we are, our reward, the reward for those who are faithful in their journey is heaven. And as I thought about that, heaven will be a place that is completely new. That we will literally be in the presence of God, creator of heaven and earth. We will be in the presence of God, our Father. And we will be in this environment in which there is a complete absence of evil. None. None and the fullness of everything that is good. Uh, I do not even know what that'll be like. I do not know what that it'll be like to be in the presence of God where evil is not even in the picture. The Lord's Supper. I think in the Catholic... Um, World, They would call it the Eucharist, if I'm right, Lord's Table, is a reminder, I think, of the gravity of our sin. It's a reminder of the cost of our healing. It's a reminder of the cost of our forgiveness. And it's a reminder of the eternal hope that lies in the heart of everyone who calls himself a child of God and is willing to walk in his ways. And one day, these symbols that we use, the juice and the crackers or the bread, will be replaced by an actual banquet table where we will sit in the presence of God himself. Jesus shared this first Lord's Supper with his closest, likely his closest friends and followers. And even though he is only one day away from being betrayed, from being whipped, from being mocked, from having thorns pressed into his skull, he says to his closest friends, I have earnestly waited to share this meal with you. Jesus saying, I know what lies ahead for me is actually a path of incredible pain. What lies ahead for him one day later is a path of shame. It's a path of suffering. And Jesus would say, but this is the Father's will for me. But I am looking forward to sharing this meal with you because this represents something completely different. My life given once, given for all, for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says about this new, we sometimes call it the new covenant, the new arrangement. Jesus simply said, and here's where I think there's such a contrast from the Old Testament and its regulations, its rules. He says, you know what? So do this as often as you do. But simply do it in remembrance of me. Honor Jesus by remembering him until he comes again. The Old Testament, regulations and formality, the Lord's Supper, simplicity and freedom. I want to say to those of you who gather in homes, I know we have some fairly large care groups, they're almost like little church home groups. I would say do not hesitate to celebrate the Lord's table in your small groups. It doesn't require a priest or a pastor. In the New Testament, it says the believers, they often went from home to home, And they devoted themselves to solid teaching from the apostles. They devoted themselves, it says, to fellowship, to prayer, and to the Lord's Supper. And I think sometimes it would be maybe even a stronger reminder of the significance of this Lord's Table if it were sometimes taken out of the context of well, this is just what the church does when we gather once in a while. That it might actually speak so loudly and clearly to, we're doing this because we identify as the children of God. We're doing this because we understand the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So I'm just saying, if you were in a small group, if you're in a home group, deciding at some point, you know, let's take the Lord's table together would be a beautiful thing. It's interesting that Judas, who had already decided to betray Jesus, was at this meal. He was going to hand Jesus over for what was about the cost of a slave. And Jesus says to him at the table, he says, Judas, go. Go and do what you need to do. This meal, as much as it is meant for us to remember Jesus. I believe this meal is meant for us to examine and to consider how we live. That we are also saying, God, we truly do want to be your holy nation. We want to be your people. We are willing to be set apart in order to honor you and obey you as our God. And I think it would be so sweet to be able to describe any church gathering, any family gathering, as a place where you would see a flood of justice and a river of righteous living. That God, we want to walk as you ask us to walk. The prophet Micah said, and I know I've used this uh, many times before, when people were asking, well, what does the Lord require of you? He was asking that of the children of God in the Old Testament. He says, well, the Lord requires that you do justly, you act in a just way. The Lord wants you to love mercy, that you are willing in your life, in your interactions with other people, to extend mercy. And then thirdly, he says, you know what? I want you to be willing to simply walk humbly with your.